Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. This is Sabrina with Trailer Talk, and on this sunshine spring day in the Catskills, I am so excited to welcome back Laura Chavez-Silverman, who is the founder of the Outside Institute. And we're going to find out what that is. When Laura and I last spoke, it was a different season. It was summer moving into fall. And now we're right at the beginning of spring here in the Catskills and the upper Delaware River Valley region. So I wanted to invite Laura to talk about this. And also what's really exciting is that Laura now has a physical space for the Outside Institute called the Outpost in Calicoon, which is in Sullivan County, New York, right on the Delaware River. And across the river is Pennsylvania. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. I'm really excited to speak to you because like so many of us, when we've gone through the winter here in the Northeast, I'll speak for myself. I I grew up out West. I grew up in Los Angeles. So winter's in the Northeast are a beautiful season and also harrowing in some ways for, for my psyche. And the longer I've been here, the harder it gets and the more I welcome spring. So why don't you introduce us to this season and also to your project, the Outside Institute? What a lovely invitation. Thank you. I mean, I think that winter offers us a lot of opportunity for introspection and reflection and cocooning. And in some ways that can be challenging for people, especially in a world where we are so restless and so active and so seeking all of the time. And so in that way, I think winter can be very, very essential and kind of force us into practices that we might not normally adopt. But then spring comes and we can really feel the sap rising in ourselves, just like the trees do. Everything is sort of stirring underground and a lot of energy starts to come up. It's a time of awakening and rebirth and um, new beginnings. And I think we get very, um, very excited, Uh, even if we're not super tied to the land. There's something about the change of the light and, of course, the the rustling winds that come at this time of year. And, you know, we kind of go back and forth between cool and warmer and cool and warmer. It's kind of heating us up for this exciting new regrowth of life. Laura, what signals spring for you here where we both live in this Catskill, Delaware River Valley region? I think it's uh, it's the birds, first of all. You know, we start to hear the red-winged blackbirds call and the robins come back. There's flocks of them going all over the lawns and fields looking for worms. Um, there's the, the incipient bird song that begins to happen even when there's still snow on the ground sometimes. That's the first signal. And then, of course, the frogs begin to wake up and we hear their quacking and chirping from the woods. There are vernal pools in the forest caused by snowmelt. 
And these are breeding grounds for frogs and salamanders. Um, and that has its own soundscape that comes along with it. And then we see the new growth peaking up. So bulbs are coming up. And in the wild, we're seeing garlic mustard and field garlic. And soon there will be nettle tops will be coming up. And then the ramps will come in about two, three weeks, maybe. Ramps are those wild leeks uh, or wild garlic, some people call them. In Europe, they're known as ramsons that um, are really a coveted delicacy and just one of the many delicious wild flavors of spring. And I'm wondering, Laura, if you can bring us into the land. And when we go to your website, the very first thing that is seen is actually honoring of the people whose land we're on. Yes, absolutely. I think that's very important. I mean, here in the upper Delaware River Valley, we are on what's called Lenapehoking. And that is the way the indigenous peoples that were here for hundreds of thousands of years before the colonists came referred to this area. They were the Lenape people. And they considered this land very holy and sacred, uh, almost um, a special portal into uh, the, the other side and that it had special healing properties. And I think um, it's interesting because, you know, as you probably know, this Catskills region was always kind of a, a beacon for people coming up from the city. There were sanitariums here after the war. Uh, people came up to breathe the fresh air, to bathe in the healing waters. And I think this place holds that magical healing. And I think it's important to honor the people that left so much of their acquired knowledge behind, their wisdom, their ways of the land, uh, the hunting of the whitetail, the gathering of blueberries, the fishing for shad and eel in the river, all these practices we inherited from the Lenape tribes who were displaced um, you know, during the, the, the wars, French-Indian wars and subsequently. But their traditions live on and um, I think it's important to, to remember them and to acknowledge them, as you say. Yeah, and even to acknowledge, of course, that they are still here with us. But as you mentioned, colonization and the genocide, I always feel that it's so important to make that prominent in any conversation about this extraordinary place where I feel so privileged to live because these histories, I believe, need to be in the forefront as we move into this moment and beyond to our understandings of the complexity of, of where we are in this moment and where we live. So thank you very much for sharing that. You mentioned so many things uh, about this moment of spring and I'm happy that you've joined me again for Trailer Talk. And for those who haven't heard our previous conversation, I'm just wondering if you can talk to us about what and why you founded the Outside Institute. And then, of course, to move us forward to this moment where you have just recently opened the outpost, which is a physical space. Yeah, thank you for, for inquiring about that. You know, I um, I grew up in Northern California in a very beautiful area in the Redwoods. Uh, but then I, as many teenagers do, wanted to get as far away from there as possible. And I came to the East Coast and I stayed here. And it wasn't until 2009 
I just want to add, so we're both Californians. I grew up in Southern, you grew up in Northern, and Trailer Talk does broadcast in Northern California in Point Reyes Station, KWMR. So, well, I grew up in Santa Cruz and I grew up visiting Point Reyes and um, all the beautiful uh, Bay Area locales for, you know, being along the water and being in the mountains. And so that's definitely, you know, formed my spirit, but I, I, pretty much abandoned that for quite a while. And it actually wasn't until I moved to LA for a few years in the late nineties that I kind of reconnected with this essential practice of being outside in the woods, walking in the Santa Monica mountains. And when I moved back to New York, I realized I couldn't just be in the city anymore. And that's how I came up to this area in the upper Delaware Valley. I ended up moving up here with my husband full time in 2009 and it was really a desire to find wild mushrooms because I'm a cook that <laughs> led me out into the forest. Of course, I, you know, I went out walking, but it's what really made me start paying attention, which I think is the big difference. And the more I learned about how to find mushrooms, of course, the more I had to learn about seasonality and plants and mycorrhizal relationships and learning to identify trees. And it was a slippery slope down which I tumbled joyfully. (laughs) And I realized that there were many, many people in this community, even people who had been living here for a long time, who said to me, wow, I I like to get outside, but I don't know where to go. Or, hey, I never knew there was a waterfall down this road. Or, you know, when do I look for morels and how? And, you know, I, I don't have a formal training in botany and not a trained herbalist or anything like that. But Eventually, after, you know, almost 10 years of teaching myself, I realized that I had accumulated enough knowledge that I felt like I could share it with other people. And that's why in 2017, I founded the Outside Institute. And at that point, I started leading guided walks outside and just helping people learn about the land, connect to the land. The the mission, as I declared it then, was to help people connect to the healing and transformative powers of nature. Because for me, there was a lot of healing that took place. I was broken, maybe as we all are, from an urban life and the stresses and personal griefs and all kinds of things that I carried with me to the woods. And I found amazing sucker there. And, you know, it was just a wonderful refuge for me and a very healing place in addition to all the delicious things I encountered and all the wonderful things I learned about. So it was all this that I wanted to share with other people. And I brought uh, other instructors in to work with me. You know, we had beekeepers and people teaching about natural dyes and natural cosmetics. And, um, you know, I taught a lot about um, botany and mushroom identification and foraging and my passions, which are, you know, the culinary side of it and the botanical mixology that I do. And um, it just felt like I was ready to have an indoor space that could be more of a community hub. And um, so this year I opened the outpost and it's an opportunity to have more gatherings um, inside, but also, you know, that will spark more interest about getting outside because that's ultimately my goal, really. So Laura, why... Do you feel it's so important for people to get outside? And how do we draw the line? Because we we live 
here on, on the planet. So how do you draw the line in, in a sense between this uh, kind of maybe the wild or a non-developed space, perhaps? Like, how do we define getting out into it? Like, what's the it and that place what is it about it? What once we we hear your definition of it that is transformative? What have you discovered? Well, that that's a wonderful question, maybe the quintessential question. And you know, that really came up quite a bit during the pandemic because a lot of people said, I can't get outside. And a lot of people draw a stark contrast between you know, I guess the civilized world and the natural world. And I always say there's only one world and we're all living in it together. Wherever we are, we are nature and nature is everywhere. And so I said to people, even if the only thing you can do is go up to the roof of your building and gaze at the stars or watch the birds, um, that is it. You know, that's enough. Get to know the moon. There are things that you can do. Maybe you can only look out your window and study cloud formations. Um, and, you know, in the worst case scenario, there's scientific proof that even gazing at a landscape painting gives you some of the benefits of being, you know, outside. So however you can connect to, you know, I hesitate to call it the natural world. It's really the world, the world that we inhabit. And yes, it's fantastic to, you know, go to the Grand Canyon or, you know, the Painted Desert and get these big epic hits of nature. Those really are memorable and transformative moments. But it's equally important to know the place that you live and to appreciate the mugwort that's coming up, um, you know, on the sidewalks in Brooklyn and all of the field garlic that's coming up on the meridians of the West Side Highway. In the city, I've led walks and we find all kinds of plants and mushrooms and you can learn just as much there. It really is about learning to see in a different way. You know, Mary Oliver says, you know, be curious, pay attention, tell about it. It's witnessing and observing and learning the names of or giving your own names to these fellow inhabitants, these creatures, these plants, these other, other living beings that we are with. And this is how we form the connection. And this is how we feel a sense of belonging and being rooted and connected to the land and to ourselves, our own true natures. You know, what do you do? You just get outside and open your eyes. You put yeah. your phone away. You know, you pay attention. You breathe. You slow down and you become part of the world to become a part of the world. Thank you, Laura. I'm speaking with Laura Chavez-Silverman, who is the founder of the Outside Institute in the Catskills, uh, where we both live, also called the Upper Delaware River Valley Region, because the Delaware River runs right, right uh, through our counties. Laura, you've been talking about, I just want to repeat this, what you just shared, you said there's only one world, we are nature, and nature is everywhere. And that is profound. And and in this brokenness that we are living in, uh, to think of that is actually very soothing 
and revelatory in a lot of ways. You said, just open your eyes, step outside. You know, this is the world. There isn't a separation between the so-called natural world and and the world that we are uh, living and breathing in. What are you seeing right now? It's spring when you do step outside your door. And I'd love to journey with you a little bit and then move into some of these workshops that you have curated in your new space, your actual physical space, the outpost. Yeah. Well, right now things are still pretty dormant here. I know that if you're living uh, south of here, like in New York City, there's already, I was in the city this week and there were cherry blossoms were in bloom and, um, you know, buds all over the trees. I'm sure magnolias are starting to bloom there, but here, here we are April 2nd only. And so it's going to be another couple of weeks, but you know, if you get close to trees, you will see that they have buds. And one of my favorite things to go and find are wild hazelnut shrubs. And they have long male flowers called catkins that are among the first to open up in the spring and they're so beautiful and a pale yellow color. I'll be looking for those. I'll be looking for, as I said, nettles that are among the first to come up. Field garlic, what you can use as chives or pull the little bulbs. Garlic mustard, which is a non-native plant that grows rampant uh, all over the place and can be eaten and foraged with impunity. It's almost like a, treat it like broccoli rob. You can get the big um, sort of bushy new growth and blanch it in water before you saute it in garlic and olive oil. And that's quite delicious. Uh, um, soon enough, uh, when the when the blooms do happen, when the apple blossoms are falling, you can start to look for morel mushrooms. Even in this cold interim period, you might be able to find some oyster mushrooms growing. But basically, you know, you can just get out and appreciate the fresh air, the sound of the quacking frogs. You can look for egg masses in the vernal pools um, and, you know, get some sun on your face. Yes. And also, I, the light has shifted, which I welcome after winter. And uh, I still have patches of snow where I live, but there, you know, the thaw has occurred. So, so I'm seeing mostly the ground uh, exposed. I'm also seeing really this uh, lots of down branches and what the storms have brought over the winter. So it's that debris as well, kind of that, that reminder of, of what we're emerging from. That's right. And that's, that's where spring cleaning comes in, right? Everything needs to be kind of cleaned up. We need to get ready for the big onslaught that comes spring and then summer. Right. Where things so (laughs) rapidly, rapidly grow and, and emerge, which is really incredible how, how quickly that happens, uh, which for me is always a really important reminder, uh, you know, for some people, myself, moments where I feel stuck or in patterns or in a place that doesn't feel so good. You mentioned grief and sometimes a heaviness that can come as life accumulates, but there's something about this moment of acceleration, which is joyful. Yeah, you make a beautiful point, which is that, you know, we can look outside for metaphors that really give us courage and strength and insight into our own condition. I remember once on a walk 
a woman looked down at a piece of birch bark that had curled off the tree and was lying decomposing on the ground. And she said, I look at that and I feel better about aging. And I knew just what she meant mm -hmm. because everything happens in its right time in nature. And we witness that and come to understand, you know, our own progression. Mm. Yes. You know, another thing that we're getting ready for as this season comes is, um, is ticks. And that is one of the classes that we're offering at the outpost. Um, a wonderful local herbalist, Richard Mandelbaum, who is a teacher and mentor to me, is going to be leading that discussion. And I felt that that was essential education to provide because people are very, very uninformed and they basically lead with fear and ignorance, which I totally relate to. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, by being informed and understanding, you know, how we can protect ourselves and, you know, uh, Richard will offer herbal strategies for prevention and for coping with infection. And also, you know, a lot of information about co-infections beyond Lyme. A lot of people don't understand that ticks are carrying a lot of disease that's not just Lyme. So, you know, my solution is never to not get outside, which some people feel like they just don't want to adventure into the woods anymore because they're so frightened of ticks. Rather, we should be prepared in the right ways. And, you know, the, the wonderful thing to know is that awareness is the single biggest practice to help you, you know, deal with ticks. Yes. And I'm glad you mentioned ticks and Lyme and the co-infections. It's a lot to contend with for sure. I know that there are tools and I couldn't imagine not going outside, you know? So, I mean, that wouldn't even make sense for where I live. I couldn't do that. That's right. None of us really can. Um, we all have to be outside. Ticks are everywhere. Even people listening on the West Coast will know that ticks have arrived. So. Yes. And they are in urban settings as well. Absolutely. We have to deal with ourselves in those situations, you know, the self, but we also have to look at the larger picture and at climate crisis and the spread of things. Yeah, absolutely. My friend, Adam Harriton, who has a wonderful platform, Learn Your Land, made a video around this issue. And he just said essentially that the land holds up a mirror to us. It is simply a reflection of how we have interacted with it. Um. So there's no, there's no blaming. There's only, you know, realizing and hopefully affecting change, positive change. Definitely. So you've mentioned some incredible workshops that are coming up. And again, this is a way to talk about where, where you live uh, and where we both live in the Catskills. But you also mentioned your joy in the botanical mixology, and that could be with or with out spirits or alcohol. And I'm wondering if you wanted to share some, uh, maybe a recipe with us or just something that gives you a lot of joy, because I know that you really do devise incredible combinations. Well, I just really like showing people how they can take um, common herbs um, and more complicated ones and infuse them into syrups and different potions and create a little arsenal in, in their own bar at home, whether or not they use alcohol and um, create drinks that can give them uh, mood benefits and physical benefits. I use a lot of bitters that I make myself 
um, which are really the original medicines. They're just herbs steeped in alcohol or glycerin. So could you give us an example of uh, a bitter? Uh, you know, what? Uh, how do you, wait, how do you even say that? I love bitters myself. Is, is it always plural or is it singular? It is always plural, yeah. So, always, so if you could give us an example of a bitters recipe. Sure. Well, uh, one of my favorite bitters um, that I make, and I can't give you the whole recipe or I'd have to shoot you after. Um, okay, yes, please don't. We, we don't want anyone listening to uh, feel unsafe. No, or my black walnut bitters. Um, and so I harvest the unripe, the green walnuts from the black walnut tree. And those are usually ready in like June or maybe July um, when they're still soft. And they're very, very aromatic. And uh, black walnuts are uh, delicious. And when they're unripe, they're typically used in Italy to make a liqueur called nocino, people might have heard of. And I make uh, something similar with the unripe green walnuts from the black walnut tree. And I add um, some bittering agents, which could be like locally, I use barberry root, which also has medicinal benefits. Gentian is a common bittering agent, dandelion root. There's other things that you can add into for the bitter quality. And then I add a whole bunch of delicious warming spices and things that point up the naturally aromatic qualities of the black walnut. You just let that steep in alcohol, or if you're avoiding all alcohol, you can use glycerin um, for, you know, I like to do it for at least six weeks and you strain it out and you have your bitters. Um, and those bitters are applied, you know, in very small quantities. They're just to point up other characteristics of drinks that you're making. So you might make, um, if you like a dark liquor, like a whiskey, rye, bourbon, um, you can add that to that kind of a drink with soda or with some other flavored syrup that you've made. I use a lot of local plants to make syrups. I use a lot of flowers to make syrups. I like to naturally ferment um, wildflowers from this area to make kombucha style drinks. Um, so, so many things. That, and then you can start to, you know, add in different medicinal qualities with herbs that either boost the mood or maybe improve focus. You can even put rosemary and lemon together. That's wonderful for brightening up your mental state. Yeah. Thank, I mean, thank I, you. I'm excited to participate uh, in, in some of these workshops that you're going to be leading and uh, we're going to have to wrap this up and I'm hoping that you'll join me again because I could talk to you for hours upon hours because uh, your knowledge, your understanding uh, of of this world that we live in, the uh, the plant life and the wildlife that surrounds us, and um, what you're sharing with your neighborhood here in the Catskills, I so appreciate that. Is there anything you want to add before we conclude this this episode of Trailer Talk? Thank you so much for having me. I guess I would just want to encourage people to um, get outside. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. I've been speaking with Laura Chavez Silverman, the founder of the Outside Institute. She now has a physical space, the Outpost in Calicoon, New York, where she offers workshops. To find out more, you can go to theoutsideinstitute.org. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artel.
Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artel. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels.